welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host for this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, and motivation, all elements of human flourishing. So how do we cultivate them? Thea Davis is the Director of Social and Emotional Learning for a K-8 charter school district in Houston, Texas. She's a mindfulness educator, the author of Today's Going to Be Awesome Sauce, Daily Meditations for Youth, Parents, and Families, and she's the creator and host of the podcast Mindful Living with Athea Davis. Listen as Athea and I discuss modeling the things you want to teach, the connection between self-awareness, insecurity, and fear, and the idea that SEL and emotional intelligence are still seen as soft skills when we know they're just the opposite. All this and more in today's conversation. I just wanted to give a quick trigger warning here for this episode. Towards the beginning, Thea discusses a personal family story that deals with addiction and suicide. And I just wanted to give everyone a heads up now in case you want to skip ahead five or six minutes. Thanks for understanding. And now on with the show. I was going through a divorce. My former spouse struggled with depression and alcoholism. We had a child together. He was four at the time. He's now 17, ages me a little bit. And it was really hard um, going through that process, uh, loving someone that struggled with this addiction. And I had never... I I was not in education. This is my my what I call my second career. Mm-hmm. And I'd never practiced yoga, mindfulness, was really resistant to it. And all the things that I knew in terms of coping with the stress of that time were not enough, which was mainly running. I've been a runner for most of my life, still am. And a friend suggested going to a yoga class. I finally went and it was really impactful. It really made a difference for me, even just going that one time. And then I was super curious about this thing called yoga uh, because it, I, I don't know how to describe it really other than I just had an emotional and uh, an emotional connection to myself in a way that I had not experienced before. So I kept going was super curious and ultimately was curious how you teach these tools to kids because I was going through this really hard thing and it was, you know, no doubt impacting my kiddo. And I wanted to know, you know, just breaking up a family that's hard and wanted to know how to teach these tools to kids. And so that was my initial start. And then I really dove in uh, a lot deeper um, once I became a certified yoga teacher, became and studied with many teachers and studied how to teach these practices to kids. And then it's like one tragedy after another, after my marriage was, you know, complete in terms of having the divorce, my former spouse struggled even more. And I would say, you know, I think it was a year or so after our divorce, he took his own life. And going through those tragedies back to back was just really debilitating. It really was ungrounding. Um, I went through my own bouts of like struggling with mental health and depression. And in that time, I wrote my first book, Today's Going to Be Awesome Sauce, Daily Meditations for Youth, Parents, and Families. So it was really just going through this incredible challenge, this traumatizing event that had me keep walking this organic path of curiosity of how do these practices help one heal help kids that are struggling with other challenges, maybe not exactly like a divorce or a suicide, but other things in their their life that they're having a hard time, you know, coping with. And, and so I guess it's been over a decade later that I've been doing this, this work. The last thing I was thinking as you finished up with that part of your story is the concept of 
I guess, modeling and what you've been doing and what you have done and turned your, I guess you could call it your career or your whole trajectory. Cause I'm thinking of even elements of what you do outside of your physical day-to-day job, which is stuff like creating podcast content for people, just mm-hmm. e- just even putting out, even if they don't seem huge to you, but putting out small messages very regularly on something like Twitter. Um, the things that you have made routine that all kind of connect back to this purpose that you found mm-hmm. is really, um, and not just like a purpose that you found, but something that you had found yourself for your own life. And then you created routines around it that built mindfulness and changed your way of thinking, all of these things that you knew you had to build into your life and make regular. And so the thing that Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about is you, like you really are modeling that transformation of self, I think for people with not just quietly going about doing this for yourself, but then also putting it out there, the things that you're learning, like openly talking to people about them, asking questions so that other people can, you know, think about how it applies to their own lives. I'm thinking about how when I scroll through some of your tweets and, you know, they just, they're just like these little nice little provoking gems that usually apply to something that I'm thinking about at that moment. So the, all of those pieces I think kind of put together a portrait of someone who was so, so transformed by what you learned about yourself and about how to live intentionally through trauma and even, even outside of those experiences that you have cultivated a life that shows that and kind of, I think is meant to pull other people into that experience. And so what I also, what I, the question that comes from that is, uh, <laughs> that long explanation. Um, I'm, I'm in, in one part of that, I'm just commending you for that kind of intentionality around what you're doing. And then the other part of that is a question about bringing, as far as the trauma aspect of it, is it difficult to teach, whether it's adults or children, is it difficult to teach people these techniques and the the way of life you want them to be exposed to outside of the portrait of dealing with trauma? Is it difficult for people to latch on to and incorporate mindfulness or or SEL techniques when they're not just immediately faced with a problem? Uh, how how do you mm-hmm. handle that kind of a situation? I think it depends. Uh, these practices certainly bring up, and but when I say practices, that could be anything from any contemplative practices or self inquiry practice. It could be, you know, my any kind of mindfulness, meditation, yoga, prayer, anything that's going to have you go inward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just depends. I think people are where they are, and sometimes they connect, and sometimes they don't. And the nature of the practices bring up resistance anyway, whether right. you think you're interested or you're not. So there's always that there's always that barrier internally. Like you can name anything as a barrier. I don't have time. Why does this matter to me? There are more important things. You know, all of these things are little resistances that come up within ourselves. So I think it just depends. I really do. I think, you know, I don't know, I can't quote any research on this, but I have talked to a lot of people over the years on my own podcast and just teaching thousands of people over the years, um, you know, young people and adults, um, leaders, teachers, et cetera, parents, that many do have an opening when you go through a challenging experience. There's some kind of break in this identity of who we think we are and where we want to go. So there's something about this break in the reality of what we think the world is and who we are. And some of us can go into that break with a little curiosity and intention and, and love. Some of us don't like that can be really hard and destabilizing for others. So it doesn't necessarily mean that 
because you go through challenge, you're going to have this, this opening inside. And uh, I think Ruby talks about that, the poet. I can't remember the, the poem right now, though. Or maybe it was the Dalai Lama, or maybe they both said it could have been both. It sounds like they maybe both both did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, so it just really depends. There's so many factors that that play into why one would lean into a tragedy and say, "Yeah, I'm going to do this," and you know, really, you know, look into myself and transform some things. And for others, it can be really destabilizing. And I also think that even for the people um, that you're explaining would maybe, you know, be a little bit more willing to, to jump in head on and face whatever it is that they're facing. And I do think, cause I've been in on both sides of that situation myself. And I think even in turn, even when you are outwardly being like, yeah, let's, let's do this. There is still that there's something that's transforming. You're just a little bit closer to to the starting line i think than people who are still a little bit timid or afraid or or turning away from it and i do think and i'm wondering what you how you would interpret this um a lot of what you're describing is that journey towards better and better self awareness that is kind of how i'm thinking about whether it's because there's an opening because you've faced something really traumatic. Um, it could be for some people every day is, is little, little struggles that wind up opening new parts of yourselves. And I know I go through little lengths of time where things seem really like hard every day. And so every little thing that I conquer or face like, and have to make a decision about on my own is very, can feel like, and open like, oh, I did that. Like, oh, cool. I didn't think I could do that. And so sometimes it's big and sometimes it's little. But all of those moments and decisions, I think, have us faced with who, like you said before, so beautifully, like, who am I right now? Um, who was I before? Like, what am I becoming? What am I doing in this present moment? Putting the past aside, putting the future aside and focusing on what is right in front of me and being aware of that is I think really scary for a lot, a lot, a lot of people. I think probably most people because it brings them face to face with exactly what you were talking about with with who you are and you have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the journey to self-awareness, you know, and getting better and better at paying attention is um, something that is easy to dismiss. But once you're on it, um, the rewards like kind of start to open up and then it's hard to ignore them. That's kind of how I'm thinking about what you're saying. Would you would you interpret that differently? Or I don't know how you think about self-awareness as part of all of this work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly some of us are naturally more self-aware than others. We go through different experiences that can impact our, our self-awareness. And no doubt that these practices help us you know, increase our self-awareness through the nature of what they do, you know, paying attention to what's going on internally. You know, I feel like certainly the opportunity is there, you know, just because I may be practicing some kind of contemplative practice doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to have this awesome self-awareness. There are other factors, you know, uh, involved, your environment, uh, whether you can put yourself in a position to really ask some hard questions of yourself. You know, we were talking about identity a minute ago, and that that can be a hard, a really hard thing to dissolve if you have this identity and that has kept you in a limiting belief in some way. And it perhaps has put you in, in this blind spot. So you don't have certain awareness about certain things. And that's where when you where community and other like-minded individuals uh, can play an important role to helping you along that path and journey of self-awareness and awakening. So you can discover that for yourself. But certainly you have to have that commitment yourself. There has to be some, some work from, from your side of, of wanting to do that, you know? And I think about, you know, how we were talking about earlier, you know, 
humans don't like to change. It's very hard for us right. to want to be uncomfortable. Before we typically take any step towards change, uh, we have to we have to feel it inside of our own body. Like, in, you know, we have to embody something that doesn't feel quite right, not in alignment, doesn't feel good before we take that next step. And sometimes, you know, it happens that we're in a conversation with a friend and they introduce the fact that they're trying meditation and you are just curious that day and you might try it and you might have an epiphany at that moment and a link and and it looks that way. So I think it just it it just varies, uh, you know, in terms of and, and I can't remember the original question. It had something to do with self awareness. <laughs> yeah, you're explaining it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was just musing about the fact that what you had been describing before sounded a lot to me like a journey, a kind of journey towards self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is how um, we start a lot of this stuff. Any any yeah. path towards mindful living and intentionality that is that an individual is going to is doing purposely. And really it's it's what you do throughout your whole life, but you can't yeah. you can't really start it or continue it well without being almost consistently aware of your of not only what you who you are right now in the present, but how you're changing, how you react to things. And so many people are, I think, afraid of that is what I was saying. Um, and just I was just kind of asking. Uh, yeah, I was asking. Um, I, I think about this every day. This is what I do. <laughs> I think about um, and write about like as part of the work we do with this podcast and with Engageable is thinking about how self-awareness impacts what we pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. I th and I think what you're saying is it's super important because, I mean, certainly developmentally, if we look at the development of, um, you know, when we're young to adolescent to young adult to adult, developmentally, obviously, like we're increasing our self-awareness over time to a certain degree. But the lens in which we look through the world is comes from our disposition, the culture in which we were raised. Uh, the environment, so many factors, where we live, what we're consuming. Um, and so we then go out into the world and, we're, and we just say, this is just what it is. Right. And then, then we meet other people and we realize, oh, wait, this isn't what it is. I mean, anybody in a relationship intimately knows how difficult these clashes can be. Mm -hmm. And then you start wondering, oh, wait, well, I thought this was the right way. But wait, no, I'm right over here. And so, you know, it takes it takes curiosity. It takes like wanting to know why we do what we do and behave the way we behave. You have to have that sense of curiosity. I mean, you can certainly live your life and not have it. My, I surmise that that might be really difficult. Yeah. It might be really difficult to be around someone that might not have that curiosity or is not interested in increasing a healthy dose of it to, because that curiosity is key for that self-awareness to develop. Yes. And I, I certainly have people in my life or, or have been in my life in the past that when, especially once I really um, dove into my own really long journey of, of self-awareness, you know, when you are faced with in, physically in the same room with people like you're describing, um, it's almost like you can feel a physical barrier of, you know, you can feel that energy is completely different and there's, it, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, I don't know, there's something there like, cause it carries into every, just like, just like the, the, the actual awareness carries into everything that you want, that you do and how you are, and mm -hmm. you don't even have to try. It just happens. The same thing happens for the opposite. I think when you're not curious, um, it plays out in a lot of the, the things that you do and the people that you're around, um, the way you communicate, like all of these little, like they might feel like silent decisions that we make with ourselves of how we walk into every day. Um, they really affect everything that we do. I think it's important to to have a huge dose of humility because it's not like you get to some point and you're like, I'm self-aware, I'm fully self-actualized. Right. 
Right. I made it to the top of the mountain and that's not, that's not what it is. I think that can be a, a really dangerous interpretation. Um, and I think I've seen that out in the, like, oh, I'm more self-aware than you. Like, let me point the finger at you. My toxic traits aren't um, as, you know, you know, quote unquote bad as your talk. Like mm-hmm. everybody's on, they are, like I was saying at the beginning, they are where they are. Some people, you know, are more, you know, self-aware than others. And that's where I feel like humility, compassion, um, and empathy really come into, you know, into understanding each other, you know, just to remember that that's okay. If, if you find yourself with perhaps someone that is not as reflective or that is, is maybe more resistant, it's a teaching in and of itself about you and what, what that says about, are you trying to fix the person or, you know, it's an opportunity for you to learn to practice some of these things, the humility, the compassion, et cetera. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to comment on that you said before you were talking about part of awareness is like recognizing when something is out of alignment like in your life or in your body. Sometimes mm-hmm. you, can, you can usually feel it um, like something in the connection between what you're doing and what you're feeling is not, is not right. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that a lot of what keeps people in resistance about this, that, cause that also takes curiosity. Right. And I do feel mm-hmm. like we, have invented so many ways for us to kind of cover this up and push away those feelings. Like something's a little off and then like you've recognized it. Yes, you're aware of it. But so many of us don't take the next step of thinking like, well, what is it and why, which is the curiosity you're describing. And instead we wind up, you know, and now at this point it sounds kind of ridiculously cliche, but we do wind up just scrolling through Instagram instead. Like something doesn't feel right. Let me do let me, you know what? I'm going to watch like five movies this weekend. And we satiate that in the moment and don't let ourselves be in our bodies and actually explore what it is that could completely transform the way we're feeling. Um, and I do think that those distractions, we kind of create those distractions from our own in that could possibly be intense emotions. And I don't know that there's, even if we, you know, technology aside, I don't know there's a way to completely solve that. It takes great courage to face that, I think, and not Mm, turn away from it. Yeah. I mean, certainly it takes great courage. And I think that's just, that's part of our human condition, you know, that we, we struggle with that and these sometimes unconscious things that may be embedded in our body, but we're not quite aware of them in our minds, or maybe we are, and maybe there is a resistance, you know, we, are humans that don't really feel in the society that we live in. Mark Brackett, who wrote Permission to Feel, talks about this. We don't know. We're so disconnected from our mind and body. We don't know what things are. Many of us don't even know that we have this voice in our head or how, you know, what anxiety feels like in our body. You know, there are still people discovering that are, you know, older adults, um, like, oh, wow, when my hands sweat or my, I'm shaking, that could be anxiety. I never knew that, Hmm. you know, this is not common information that unless you're steeped in it, that people know about. I certainly before, you know, I'll say in the, like the first chapter of my life, you know, pre Mm -hmm. all of this journey and tragedy and contemplative practices, I didn't really pay attention to what I was feeling on such a deep level, you know, and mm-hmm. that changed because of the nature of the practices that I was engaged with, because that's what you do. You're paying attention to how this posture feels in the body. Where do you, you know, notice tension or no tension, or what are you noticing in your thoughts? And you sit down and you try to meditate and your mind goes a hundred thousand miles an hour I just, um, I think some of that is, is understanding yourself. Right. And like, that's the cool thing about the journey is that you can notice these things like, Oh, wow, look, I'm doing this thing. (laughs) That's so interesting. Why am I doing that? What is it serving me? And is there some deeper thing that I'm trying to 
fulfill because there's no easy question or answer. It's why am I scrolling on, you know, social media? Maybe, I don't know. Do I need to feel like I need to connect with someone? Maybe you have a high need in that moment that hasn't been really defined. And when you take that healthy dose of curiosity and you, you realize, oh, oh my God, look what I'm doing. Because sometimes it's so unconscious. We don't know what we're doing. We've, you know, flip open an app like a hundred times or something in a day. And we're like, what the heck? And, and then it might be, well, I need some community. I need some connection. There's no, it's not like, oh, the light goes off. I'm aware. I know what feeling I have. And now I know what feeling I'm going to label it. And I have this tool. It's really a journey in itself of asking, what is this thing I'm doing serving? And then you go on like this little internal journey (laughs) and, uh, and discover that. So, I mean, I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, to discover those things about yourself, because when you do, then you can, you shed that light, that light of awareness, and then you can take action to change that or to understand what you're needing or to create more connection in your relationships to then share what you're needing or what you need to stop doing to have more fulfillment and ease and peace of mind or whatever it is that you're looking for. I had pulled a few tweets that you recently, I, I like I said at the top, you're pretty pro- prolific and intentional in just putting little messages out there. Some of them are short, but they are um, kind of impactful if you think about them as as a part of your day. And there was one um, one I pulled from from recent weeks was about SEL and emotional intelligence as soft mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. and the idea that we should be thinking about them differently now that they're so, you know, it's being so widely publicized how coveted those skills are in mm-hmm. the world and, you know, in the workplace. Yes. But also, you know, anywhere and how, you know, I don't know if they're, it, if we're just being made aware now of how important they are, like our cultural and social habits, like we're talking about that are really so heavily impacted by our technology use like if if now the world is kind of revealing like it's revealing how important those skills are and how intentional you have to be about cultivating them and making them better so i'm not sure like how that's being really revealed to us in in a way in that way but you know the the comment that you had made on twitter was about there being soft skills and and how can we you know kind of bring those into the light as as not using that phrase anymore. Being a director of social and emotional learning, how do you see this kind of playing out in the school system or education system over the next year, five years or and beyond where we are seeing this huge call? How do we make make that understanding real that this is not just it's not just a shift that is momentary, but it's really a shift towards understanding that calling something soft skills like really makes it sound like it's nice to have, but you're not, you know, you can kind of get away without yeah. having it. How do we get it's that? Required. Yeah, those <laughs> mindsets. Like, I feel like that phrase just needs to be disappearing altogether. You know, when, what does it take to make people understand that this is really, I mean, their life, they're really important life skills. Maybe we'll never get there. I don't know. But what do you, what do you think? Like, how do you grapple with this? I, I'm more hopeful than we'll never get there. I remember tweeting that and I really wanted to hone in on the fact that exactly what you were saying, that that soft skills, just because we can't typically see them versus like hard skills where that you might be able to, you know, have something tangible from that, so to speak, that they're actually foundational. They're not separate from like, we love, our brains love to organize. We love to create categories and and they can be very useful when we're analyzing things. And we tend to forget actually these skills exist hand in hand. It's like when we're talking about academics and social emotional learning as if they existed separately. Yeah, That's insane. I know. You know, that so much of our learning experience 
is happening. Like it's all happening in our, you know, in our brains and these things are deeply interconnected. Emotions drive learning. And because we typically, and, and I say we uh, widely here, it could be parents or leaders, anybody in education, typically you don't learn how these skills go hand in hand. It's just like, okay, I'm going to, you compartmentalize. I'm going to focus on math and I'm going to focus on science and this other stuff. It's, you know, on this side, it doesn't really matter. As long as they get that, you know, these skills that my standards require and you get the grade, then we're good. We've forgotten like the human in the process and how that human is coming to understand this information Mm -hmm. that you're sharing with them. And so is there hope? Absolutely. Is it difficult? Yes. I mean, it's, there's still struggle with, you know, even I think about throughout the years doing this work and how so many people questioned why this matters. But I think what I have seen is that when you share the practices, you share the research, you model this in your own life, it becomes so, I don't say it's not easy, but easier for others, including students to connect to why this is important. Because the nature of what it is, is you're going to have to discover it for yourself. It's not like, I mean, you can certainly be inspired by this conversation or a book that talks about it. That certainly can be an entry point for anybody and, mm-hmm. or an access point, as I like to say, but it, it's something you have to discover for yourself. And I, and, and I think that's why like having these experiential moments in the classroom or your business or at home provide you that container to have that moment of discovery. You may not have it every time, but you're you're increasing your ability to have those moments mm-hmm. by just ha- engaging in the practices. So I would definitely recommend anybody that is in this work and feels like they're defeated to, you know, tune into the community is like you have here on the Oculus podcast and continue, you know, putting your spark in action because it really does matter, you know, to to remember that you're planting seeds. You're not trying to change anybody. I think that's where we can get frustrated. Like I'm trying to change this and it's not working. And I think that you've got to change the mindset. You're not trying to, you can only change yourself. You are not, you cannot change other people, but what you can do is show up as a representation of what it is to be on the journey and to model these practices and to openly share with others what's possible for themselves. And I think that's where the real connection is made. And you keep showing up, you keep showing the research, you keep talking about it. And and just recently, some research came out showing that uh, an article in Education Week showing that there was a positive correlation of students that higher that had higher scores on reading and math also had higher scores in SEL, mm-hmm. and and students that had lower scores in reading and math had lower SEL scores. I think the more that you can share information like this, you open doorways for others that might say, "Hmm, that's interesting." You know, I want to know more. So I would just suggest, you know keep planting seeds. If you're thinking about fixing anything, that's not a really healthy place to be at all. And when you come from that mindset space that you can only change yourself and that you can offer some incredible, um, you know, education practices and guidance and how and why that these two go hand in hand I think you are making that transformational difference in the classroom and in education by planting those seeds. And I do think that we're still at this uh, point pretty early in adapting this widely that people don't quite see that they're, I guess that the part of SEL or, you know, maybe, maybe it's calling it social emotional learning that throws people off sometimes. I don't know that people really see that a big part of that are so many of the things that they look for in in an academic setting or in, you know, a setting where you're 
you know, you have to uh, collaborate or coordinate or play sports on a team or be a part of a group or, mm-hmm. or learn how to talk or work one-on-one with people. Um, I don't know that people really truly get that part of that, like curiosity and persistence and resilience and all of those things that we, we know that we value, um, they're all connected and they're, they're part of that experience of being aware and paying attention. And all of that is a practice that we have to build a routine around and understand, um, affects all the other parts of what we want to do. But all of these things are connected. And I keep going into this, um, in the last couple of weeks, I keep saying this phrase of like, you know, awareness before academics going into this next year, like, what would it be like if we all adapted that mindset even a little bit and got like made this commitment to, to thinking of all of this stuff and kind of meditating on it and, and, and how, how we can get incrementally better going into the school year before we even attempt to think about what the academic part of that world is. How much would it shift if we all were doing that a little bit? Well, certainly I think these skills amplify, like that's what, like they really amplify what you're able to do taking on any cognitive load, whatever that is, whether you're, you know, reading, you're writing, you're doing some creative work, you're, you're amplifying your ability, you're amplifying and optimizing your ability to do cognitively demanding tasks. Yes. And that is what I, like to not have that, you're stuck because you're trying to, you know, teach this cognitively demanding task. And some people might have a natural aptitude for that. That's great. And then others will struggle. And the tools, you know, whether it's mind, so mindfulness and social emotional learning are like, they go hand in hand, but mindfulness isn't just like, it's not the only social emotional learning tool, but mm-hmm. it is an important piece of it. And it helps amplify and optimize a person's ability to fully show up in these, you know, very challenging cognitive tasks. And I, I think, again, the more that we're talking about it and, and sharing the research that's coming out about that, the more that we have others listening and the more that, you know, your, whatever you're doing in your campus organization or home, you know, that you are that power of one that, you know, knocks that huge domino down at the end, this one little spark in action caused like the hundred pound domino in the back of the line to fall over, to understand, to listen, uh, you know, it, 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 so it matters what you do. Sometimes it might not feel that way because maybe you're in an environment where all the voices are against you. Like, this is like, this doesn't matter. Why are we even doing this? That's where you really need to, you know, lean into your own resilience and your own courage um, and, and your own why to keep up with this work. Because when you're doing that authentically and in alignment with your own values and truths, you're really making that difference for someone else. And, you know, I think it's just part of like living an awesome life, you know, like you have that capacity to make a difference for so many by planting those seeds. And, you know, if you're struggling somewhere where you're want to throw your hands up and it's normal and natural you know, doing this type of work, uh, you know, it's okay. Remember, like, you know, you're in, you're in good company. You, you listen to things like this, you read books, you know, you go back into your practices, but you lean on those stories where you, where you know that that difference was made and that kind of gets you the fuel that you need to keep going. That's such good advice there at the end. It was almost like you knew I was winding up to the end of this part of the conversation, but that's such a great way to leave people thinking, uh, whether you're in a position or some sort of leadership position in a school setting that you are faced with making these decisions or, or you are looking to adapt. I think a pro- so many people that also listen to this are people that don't have any sort of formal program in place in their district. And there mm-hmm. maybe they are that person of one that is championing champion.
theaning that. Um, <laughs> I can never say that word. And so they do the work in these little pockets or do what they can. Uh, like there, I, I there's a a teacher. I think she's a second grade teacher. Who I talked to a few months ago, um, not on this podcast, but separately. And there's nothing in her elementary school where she works that that is a formal program. But she just started teaching, like doing little snippets of yoga with her own second graders. And now she Mm -hmm. now like I think she did that for like two or three months and just kind of made it these little micro routines throughout their week. And then that kind of spread what it was, how it was helping her students do X, Y, and Z. And then now she's like running a, like literally running yoga routine, I think it's called for the entire elementary school. And so Mm, like, that's awesome. Isn't that, that's crazy. Like, and all you, all she did was do the one thing that she knew that works in little bits and built it into the lives of her one class. And then that had a ripple effect of what they saw her doing. Exactly. And I think that that is what I think oftentimes we feel like we have to, you know, do some big, great thing. Like, how am I going to do this? And it just really starts small. You know, I think about, you know, in my own journey, just I really just wanted tools for myself and for my son so we could get through something that was really, really hard. And I just followed my curiosity and like and discovered like how powerful these tools were and then started teaching, you know, kids in yoga studios or family yoga. And one thing led to another. And uh, and I think that's we just have to start with something. Right. And then you just go with that. Like that makes a difference. Oftentimes we think it has to be big and, and sparkly and all of that. It just matters exactly in that story you shared with that second grade teacher. Just start with what you can do and be that power of one because it really does make a big difference. Yeah. And you don't even have to think ahead of in that instance is a great example because you don't even have to think of ahead of like, where is this going to go? What can I make this into? Although that might be somewhere in the back of your mind. Really, all you have to think about is, you know, what's in front of you, that present moment. These are the 25 kids I see every day. Here's what I see them facing. I'm going to just pick a few things that we're going to do and see what happens. And if they respond, um, which I almost, you know, I almost never hear stories like that where the people that they're working with are not responding well. Like there's always this effect of like, how can we get more of this? Um, and, and she did it in a way like that's a great example of just a way that was not, you know, she's not trying to change people. Like you said, just did the thing that she knew how to do. And then that's, that's a way that, I mean, that's the embodiment of modeling, right? Modeling the life that you know that people are capable of. At this kind of winding down part of the show, what I like to do is ask people to share as much or as little as you want, but uh, anything that you are reading or watching or listening to and listening can be interpreted as um, podcast type listening or music, anything that you want to share with us that you are consuming from outside of, it could be outside of the work world or inside mm-hmm. unrelated, anything at all, but that is going into your brain that kind of forms a, a complete, more complete picture of who you are as a person. Sure. I uh, lately have been listening to the conversations that Lex Friedman has been having in Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, those are really interesting and highly recommend, um, you know, th- anyone that likes learning to listen to those conversations. Uh, love, love the Lex Friedman podcast. It's really great. Something that I just finished reading was a book that I bought my son. He's, um, he's 17, uh, very entrepreneurial Uh, has, you know, did his little business um, the last couple of years is thinking about doing something else. But the book is called The $100 Startup. Mm. It's reinvent the way you make a living, do what you love and create a new future. And the author and I have gosh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but it's Chris Gilboy, Gilboy, maybe. Okay, sorry, Chris, if I totally (laughs) uh, mess that up. But I, I actually bought this book in Ryan Holiday's bookstore in oh, Bastrop, really? Texas. Oh, cool. 
he has a, a bookstore called The Front Porch. And a friend of mine and I love, you know, small shop bookstores. And I was looking for a gift. And so I bought this book for my, my kiddo. And I wanted to read what I was giving him. So I had finally just read the book and it was really great. So anybody, um, you know, interested in knowing how to take their idea and put it out into the world, uh, that's a great book. And speaking of Ryan Holiday, I love his book, The Daily Stoic, uh, mm-hmm. his meditation book. Uh, I have that on my on my uh, little table in my sitting area where I read. And then I read so many different things at one time. Me too. I'm also reading a, uh, it's called Afghanistan, A Cultural and Political History, Thomas Barfield. I, a lot of my uh, current students, uh, we have Pasho speaking families that come from Afghanistan. And I just really wanted to learn more about the culture and the history to really get a, a, a grasp on the community in which I, I'm serving currently. So those are the books that I've been reading and that's what I've been listening to. Those are, I think, all wonderful, more wonderful examples of, of them, especially even the last one you mentioned about it, Afghanistan is like all of that is wonderful examples of modeling um, for people as well. And not just, not just the part of your job, I think that we would expect, but other, other parts <laughs> of mindful living and being in full awareness as much as you can of what, of what you're working on, what's around you, the people you communicate with. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then that brings us to the very last question that we end with, which is if you were to give people advice or recommendation on maybe a way that you would say is a, is a method of practicing attention or getting better at being attentive or being present. Um, what would you say to people? Like, do you know something that works for you as far as getting yourself to a place of attentiveness where you feel like you you know that you are there in that moment? How how do you mm-hmm. how would you tell people that to kind of practice this more in their lives? Two things pop into my head, which was mindful walking and mindful eating. So I love mindful walking because it requires no training. You just get up, get outside. And plus you're doing a couple of really great things for yourself, but getting outside, getting some sun. And you don't have to walk far, but you just simply walk and you just notice. Notice, you know, the trees, the birds, the car, whatever. So your eyes are just you know, gently moving around, kind of noticing what's right in your, you know, in your space, in your own personal bubble space, or you can go even in your periphery. And so that's a really great practice to help practice and train your attention that I really love. And mindful eating is another one. I'm one that I, I really don't like, unless I'm connecting with someone, I don't typically watch things when I'm eating because I like to sit down and really enjoy the texture, the flavors, all of it. Uh, so I, I highly recommend that. If you don't have at least one meal in your day where you're mindfully eating, you're not reading, you're not on your phone, you're not listening to anything, you're not talking to anyone, you're just in your quiet space and you're eating and enjoying your food, that's another way to really uh, you know, hone your attention and train your attention. So I really like those two because we do those every day. So it's not like we're adding on any other time. And so I like to suggest those. I love that. Um, especially, I mean, both of them, I haven't had anybody talk in detail about mindful eating in here on mm-hmm. here in a while. So, um, it's good to hear you bring that up, but anything where you are, both of those examples are anything where you re- require yourself to, really kind of go, it is a kind of going inward because you are Mm -hmm. only allowing yourself to pay attention to what you're doing at that moment. Um, you'd be surprised if that, even that is a practice, right? Doing that a few times, either of those things. Before we go, let's, um, tell people where they can find you. Is there anything that you want people to know about 
your presence on social media, where you want them to connect, how you like to connect, um, and any work or projects that you have going on that you would like people to find, you can, you can let us know where that is. Yeah, I think um, in, in some respects, I'm closing a, a chapter and starting a new chapter. So I uh, can't share much about that yet, but you can find me on social media at Athea Davis. So that's A-T-H-E-A-D-A-V-I-S. That's on all social media handles, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, et cetera, TikTok, um, at Athea Davis. Would love to connect with you. And uh, you can also tune into my podcast, Mindful Living with Athea Davis. And that would be on any of your favorite podcast platforms. So those would be two ways you can connect with me. Awesome. Uh, Well, it was so great to finally be able to connect with you. I know I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time. So I'm so glad we were able to do this. And I'm hoping to find some more ways for us to connect over the coming months as um, as I grow this little community and, and podcast and newsletter and all the things that come with it. Um, so um, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this collaboration, I would say. Thank you, Sarah. It's been awesome. Many thanks to Athea for telling us her story. I particularly love her perspective that mindfulness is the root of all action. It's something I've been thinking about ever since we spoke, and I hope it's resonating with you all as well. You can let us know by leaving a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. You can listen and subscribe to the Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the mindful pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Engageable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist. I'll be back next week with a new conversation. Stay engaged.